Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wonderful ball for Brian Zaragoza. His second chance of the night. This is outstanding! What a goal from Zaragoza! The pass from Gumba was brilliant, but the youngster still had a mountain to climb, and he has climbed it in some style. Hello, everyone. We've had goals, comebacks, late drama, history made, a regular dose of polemica, new appointments, a goodbye, and maybe a couple more to come. It's been a dramatic weekend in La Liga. We always say this, but every time it delivers. I'm your host, Matt Clark, here for the La Liga Lowdown Matchday 9 recap. Paco joins me just after celebrating his birthday. Paco, feliz cumpleaños, and how are you? Uh, very well. You know, the 37 aren't uh, being, you know, aren't taking a toll on my, on my uh, well-renowned optimism most of the time. But yeah, it was a, a great weekend uh, personally, and also obviously, if we speak about football, many many things happening, like many talking points, uh, plenty of drama to boot, and uh, yeah, you know, uh, cannot wait to to go just uh, to deliver our full fledged uh, analysis on what has been a, a very feisty weekend on on La Liga. Mm, let's start where we've just finished off then at Granada. Uh... Incredible game. 17 seconds in, Brian Faragotha, who was outstanding in the game, especially in the first half. He took the lead against the sleepy Barca. Ter Stegen looked pretty sloppy on that goal. But uh, yeah, the fans chanting for him to be called up by Spain. He could have had a hat-trick in the game. But once again, Barca find themselves 2-0 down. But fight hard to come from behind and think they've got a winner at the very end. But Paco wasn't to be. Ended up 2-2. What a game. Yeah, I think that uh, Granada deserved uh, much more, especially after the the first half that they that they delivered. They were pretty unlucky with both uh, that Brian Zaragoza smash to the post in the late in the second half, and also especially with the way they they allowed uh, Barca to. Uh, cut their difference in in half with that Lamin Yamal uh, goal in the 46th minute. I think it, we're already on the extra time in the first half, and I think that Barca were able to cling to the game thanks to that goal in that particular minute. Because throughout the first half, I think it was <clears throat> Granada's game overall. As you said, Brian Zaragoza was uh, absolutely superb uh, in all of his runs, all of his plays. Uh, the second goal that he scored was was simply amazing. The way he, you know, just sent to the to the ground his defenders and he dribbled his way past Barca's defense, which is obviously not not that easy. And the way he finished clinically into the angle and overall, this is kind of you know uh, career making games uh, for players like Brian Zaragoza, who has been as as we've said many times in in this podcast after uh, every match day in our recaps he has been um, for most of the games one of the shining spots for for Granada and in this case it seemed that Paco Lopez was you know just prone to once again deliver the miracle against one of the the massive sides in mm. in La Liga but uh, as he did back in the day uh, with Levante against uh, both Barca and Real Madrid Atletico but in this case, you know, uh, Barca always find a way to come back. They don't do it in, you know, in a way which can be highlighted. It's not in a spectacular fashion. I think it's more, 
it's more like some sort of survival instinct kicking in for for Barca. But but yeah, you know, uh, Sergio Roberto scoring with only five minutes to go. Uh, once again, not the best uh, show from uh, Granada's defense. But again, um, ultimately, Barca had the chance of winning the game. You know, uh, yeah. Joe Felix had a disallowed goal with plenty of controversy because it seemed that he was onside. Um, Vallejo was the one, you know, breaking the, the offside position. And ultimately, the, the referee decided that Ferran Torres had also influenced the, the play. So, yeah, uh, he his goal was uh, disallowing the, the Joe Felix goal. And obviously, Xavi wasn't happy. Uh, Barca players weren't happy. But if we, you know... Go straight to the bottom line. I think that the 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 uh, the end the scoreline was was fair because Barca were able to bounce back just at the end and scrape one point. And uh, Granada did almost everything that they were expected and even more to pick up the three points. They were unable to do so, but overall the the effort was was excellent. It certainly was, um, and of course, in all the drama, Lamin Yamal became the youngest ever scorer in La Liga history. Uh, Sixteen years, eighty-seven days. Uh, breaking the record uh, from the, the Malaga player from 2012. Uh, yeah, Granada, that's, they're unbeaten in four games against Barca now, going back to their previous time in La Liga. So it's a really kind of uh, a good effort from them to maintain that, that run against such a strong side as Barca. As you say, the persistence paid off for Xavi's side just about getting the draw. But they're the only side in La Liga who haven't lost a game yet in any competition, but they are now three points off the top. And if Atleti were to win their game in hand, they'd go above them as well. So Barca, in terms of points per game, fourth in the table right now. Do you think there's a few issues there? Because we've seen a few games now. Celta were 2-0 up, they managed to come back. There was those two 5-0 wins, but then since then, there was the draw in Mallorca, the narrow win over Sevilla, the suffering in Porto, and then tonight, the 2-2 here in Granada. Do you think there's some issues there for Xavi to work on over the international break? Well, I think that we have become, uh, you know, used to Xavi uh, always stating in his press conferences that uh, Barca are expected both to win and to do it in, in you know, uh, in a, I would say, spectacular fashion or mm. with plenty of flair and plenty of style. And uh, I wouldn't say that because last season, for example, uh, Barca won the league uh, actually in a, in a landslide in the in the final ten games because of their efficiency, both at the back and uh, when having chances in front with their attacking uh, players. So uh, that efficiency has been lost. They have been allowing more goals this season so far, especially when compared to to last year. And yeah, Lewandowski's absence obviously is is uh, pretty. Uh, problematic for for Xavi because there's no like single proper replacement uh, as a number nine. But overall, Ferran Torres has been playing and scoring for most of the time. Lamil Yamal has been, as you said, uh, one of the biggest discoveries of the season for them. And and with this goal, uh, he's not only assisting but also contributing in that sense. And once again, he you know this season he has become the the record breaker for most of the uh, La Liga history books. And uh, yeah, his goal tonight was was uh, pretty important for for his side, in order to turn around what had become a, a you know a very harsh and and rough game for them uh, to that point. Indeed, yes. Um, we'll see how they get on after the break. The Clasico coming around very very soon. Granada for them, they stay uh, in the relegation zone, but they are now three unbeaten after three consecutive draws. So brighter spots for them. Uh, let's head to Madrid now, and the two big capital sides both had wins this weekend, but in very different fashion. Mm. Let's start with Atleti. Uh, 14th win in a row at the Metropolitano, so it is a fortress, but that's three in a row they've had to suffer from Cadiz last weekend, 2-0 down. Final took the lead in the Champions League in midweek, and then again, Real Sociedad leveled the game late and with a better side in that second half, but that controversial penalty from uh, converted by Antoine Griezmann against his former club was the difference. Oya Thabal is in fine form, 5-5, five and five, but he was pretty angry after the game. Manos, Manos. Paco, over to you. <clears throat> this game um, shows how uh, convincing Atleti have been, especially if you take a look at their first half. But at the same time, it, it showed the their weaknesses and that uh, a well-equipped and, and well-prepared team can really harm them if they if they are uh, both effective and and efficient in their plays for example uh, in real sociedad's uh, goal to level the game 
I think that was absolutely brilliant. The way, uh, you know, they, they just uh, came up with a counter very, very quickly with a play to the wing. Uh, Carlos Hernández was able to just uh, get the, the ball under his control with the heel. And then, you know, he, he was able to uh, turn around his head. He saw Oyarzabal in the run and his pass was absolutely perfect. Oyarzabal with the control on the run and finally finishing clinically. It was quality overall the whole play. It was like a, yeah. su such quality in every single touch. And that showed that uh, Real Sociedad are, you know, ultimately a Spanish side with their own limitations whenever, you know, signing players and so on and, and trying to come up with a, um, a competitive squad. But uh, you could see that if you extrapolate that to Champions League, you can understand why Atletico have been, you know, finding some trouble and, and struggling, for example, in that opening game. Um, against uh, Lazio and, and allowing that goal in the in the last minute because uh, Atletico and 99% of sides are just unable to stop those kind of, of counters and Real Sociedad did it brilliantly. Uh, at and to that point, you know, Atletico have been able to to control the game. They had more shots on 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 the opposite goal. Samuel Lino had opened the scoreline in the first half, but yeah, when the game was maybe at its peak of interest with both teams both teams just going at it two different plays uh showed the 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 big issue that we have at this point in this country with both the VAR and the refereeing and and I want to state this at this point in our chat but this weekend was absolutely awful almost in all fronts regarding the refereeing in games and the VAR uh using of the of the tool I think that I would say 10 out of 10 in every single ground we did have um you know bigger or smaller uh controversies with both the the refereeing and the VAR and in in second division we had like blatantly uh you know um, robberies blatant robberies to some teams like Amorebieta who were stolen off a goal which was the most perfect and legal goal ever and, you know, the referee was just in front of the play and he, ultimately the VAR corrected his call. It was horrible. And and this weekend is very damning on the on the on on the all of the corporate stuff and on all of the, you know, um, referee committee, which should severely at this point, they should severely sit down and talk seriously about what is going on, because this might be the worst season with the worst offenses in this in this case. And in this particular game, uh, there was a very dubious handball of Morata inside Atleti's box, which wasn't even considered by the referee. And further along the road in the uh, 89th minute, with both sides just duking it out, um, Carlos Fernandez was uh, on the floor, on the ground, with his hands, obviously uh, one of them on the ground because he was trying to get up. Uh, inside the box and, and just the ball just hit his hand and then was deflected. The referee decided that it was a clear penalty, and I can absolutely understand the 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 anger, the desperation, and just the 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 pure uh, defenselessness of of Real Sociedad's players because they deserved something positive in this game and they left empty-handed because of a very very controversial call. So. Um, I'm not saying that Atletico didn't deserve something positive, obviously, but I think that the three points was too much of a of a reward for for Cholo Simeone's men. Yeah, I think now with I mean it's not just the Premier League as we've seen now it's with handballs and with offsides. I think when you see that play uh, of Carlos Fernandez, you think yeah it's very harsh, but these days you kind of expect it to be given, and in a way that's such a sad thing because it's. I don't know. It's, it's a question of what the players do with their arms. It's, uh, you know, it's almost impossible for them to avoid that kind of impact. But yet, at the same time, you can see why if, if the team, you know, that, that wants the penalty doesn't get it, that'd be a polemic the other way. So there's really, there's no easy answer with this, but it does seem that with handballs and offsides, the subjectivity level is just growing and, and that isn't great for the game at all. Um, but yeah, let's, let's move on to the other side of Madrid. Real taking on Osasuna, yet another exhibition of Jude Bellingham. It's remarkable that the records he's continuing to kind of uh, match the pace for. He scored 10 goals in his first 10 Real Madrid games, which equals Cristiano Ronaldo's level of impact. Plus, he's got three assists on top of that. 
Bosselu scoring again at the Bernabeu. Sergio Herrera saving a penalty again at the Bernabeu. Hmm. But uh, Paco, I, I just wonder, obviously Madrid were rampant here, but I wonder if you can think of any other player that's had this much of an impact, coming, especially a foreign player coming into La Liga and just starting like a train. I'm, I'm guessing maybe Luis Suarez, of course, but he had the ban to get over first. That's the kind of only one I can think of, obviously post-Cristiano. Do you, would you have any other candidates there? But at the same time, I, I remember quite vividly the, the, the first season of Cristiano Ronaldo over in Real Madrid, which was, I believe, 2009. And uh, his impact wasn't the same. You know, Cristiano uh, eventually would become like Real Madrid's main main weapon to you know uh, for scoring and assisting and winning games and so on. But uh, his impact wasn't even close to what Bellingham is doing at this point in over in Real Madrid. I think that uh, even the most optimistic Real Madrid fans couldn't expect that this player would perform at this level both inside the pitch and outside of it because one mm. of the uh, you know the biggest traits or or the biggest advantages of of Jude Bellingham in my view is just how well rounded off his character is you know he he's uh, a, a, a huge a, a massive asset for Real Madrid inside the pitch but whenever he speaks over in press conferences or uh, in flash interviews or and so on he obviously has his Hanley translator besides him, but he's so well-spoken, so uh, polite, so respectful, so, uh, you know, well-mannered. Comfortable. Yeah, he's so comfortable. He has slipped very comfortably into what being a Real Madrid superstar means. Because being a mm. Real Madrid superstar, and I think some of his teammates should take a, you know, a page of his, of his book, um means much more than performing well uh, in games. And Jude Bellingham has been scoring left and right and assisting and being massive for his team. But also, he has embodied that kind of swagger and behavior that a Real Madrid player should have outside the pitch. So in that sense, um, you know, Real Madrid couldn't have been more spot on and hit a larger bullseye than whenever, whenever they, you know, decided to go after Bellingham and paying that hefty price tag back in the day. And yeah, regarding the game, once again, you know, he scored very, very early and that disarmed, in a way, what Osasuna were going to be able to to do because Osasuna wanted a more cagey game, uh, trying to keep the, the, the goalless score for quite a, a while more. But, you know, opening the score so early uh, in El Bernabeu, at El Bernabeu is always... Uh, you know, bad news for the for the opposition, and they polished the game in you know in 10, 15 minutes during the second half with Bellingham's second goal, Vinicius taking advantage of all the confusion and scoring the third one, and finally uh, Jose Lu scoring the fourth. Um, also wanted to uh, highlight, as you said, Sergio Herrera stopping that that penalty and his celebration. Mm. You know, he uh, decided to celebrate uh, quite. Um, uh, you know, happily inside the, the the pitch, and he obviously gained uh, the criticism and chanting of tonto tonto from the from the stands. Something which back in the day Ancelotti surely criticized when that happened over at Mestalla. But it seemed that as uh, this had happened over in in his own ground, Ancelotti didn't consider it uh, something rem remarkable over in the press conference. And also Sergio Herrera was, uh, you know responsible enough to apologize for it later. He didn't uh, stand beside his his own behavior. So that is also something which some of the players should also take, uh, you know, take uh, advice from what happened. An overall easy win for Real Madrid. They have been very impressive so, so far this season. And, you know, yep. they are top of the league, the service is so, because they have been absolutely unstoppable both ways, you know, both at uh, uh, their own ground and also whenever they have uh, left El, El Bernabeu. Indeed, and with those uh, defensive absentees, they still managed to keep a clean sheet too. So looking good for them ahead of the international break, just that one defeat to Atletico Madrid in the derby. Rounding off the top four, it was a narrow win, but it was yet another win for Girona. Michel was celebrating being named manager of the month mm -hmm. for uh, for, for the last month. And uh, yeah, Girona, another win. 1-0 over Cadiz. Alex Garcia with the winner. They go into the break second in the table, ahead of Barca, ahead of Atleti. What is their ceiling this season, Paco? 
um, I think that we talked about this, or maybe I did it with Mr. Barlow in uh, mm. our midweek podcast a few days ago, but I think that um, if we do the math regarding their current uh, points uh, on the standings and their uh, you know calendars and schedules and so on, I think they are on their way to a top six finish, like hands down, because I think that history are on their behalf. Uh, whenever a team has uh, started a season so well with um, with 22 points out of the first 27, which is absolutely mind-blowing, um, ultimately they always end like top six or even top four. But yeah. that would be a bit more, you know, uh, uh, uncertain because I, I don't know if they yeah. are they have the the um, the tools in their toolbox to to keep up the pace and uh, you know duke it out uh, with points and with wins against Atletico, Real Sociedad, and other sides who might you know surprise everyone like Atletic Club who are doing it. Um, quite interesting season so far. Betis are also improving their their own. Um, their own performance with uh, four games without losing. So, Girona are at this point uh, just coasting in their in their good form. And and this this game wasn't their most brilliant, but you know it was very easy for them to ultimately beat Cadiz because Darwin Machis was. Uh, I I think he lost his mind with with that uh, mm. challenge very early in the game in the tenth eleventh minute I I believe, and that red card. Uh, you know, surely uh, manhandled uh, Cadiz against uh, Girona. They had to double their efforts, you know, 10 men on the pitch, one man down, 80 minutes to go. Very tough on Cadiz. And, and yeah, Girona just cooked the, the game very slowly. They took their time and ultimately with half an hour to go, Alex Arcia was the one in charge of, of firing home and, and scoring that one nil away. Which once again, you know, proves that Mitchell knows his stuff because he uh, actually performed quite a few rotations in his in his players, especially in the second half. You know, he's trying to get involved everyone. He's trying to have that kind of 16, 18 player rotation squad instead of always playing with the same eleven every single weekend. And yeah, poor Cadiz were were very, uh, you know, very harmed by that red card so early and they only had like two shots on on target which is very damning for a team who are uh you know so so low in the in the standings uh, Girona monopolized the the ball they had over 75% of the of ball possession so throughout the game and yeah i think that the that the win was the serve for Girona but again it was uh, eased by uh, Cadiz on, on pitfalls yeah, moment of madness from Machis on his Venezuelan teammate, who, as Rory jokes, is probably flying for the internationals with him together. So, yeah, be interesting to see what they talk about on, on that journey. Uh, we'll have to leave it there for part one. When we come back, we'll talk about all the other matches, uh, six of them, and some, uh, some more drama and some more managers under pressure and a couple or one in and one out. So stay with us. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, 
That plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Seven Nesiri al rescate en el corner en la última acción del partido. Welcome back to La Liga Lowdown. We had some thrilling games, not least on Saturday night, with uh, Rayo going 2-0 up in the Sanchez Pizjuan, but then Sevilla came from 2-0 down with an Enneziri equaliser in extremis. But it wasn't enough to save Jose Luis Mendelibar because Sunday evening, just about when Laminia Mal was becoming the record scorer, youngest scorer in La Liga. Sevilla were officially sacking Mendilibar. Um, yeah, their position is pretty poor. They're, they're in a worse position than at this time last season. At that point, Lopetegui had already gone. So, yeah, results this season, it's hard to argue. Of course, it, it's a very strange legacy because he came in, did so well, gave them comfortable safety in the league, mm. won the Europa League, of course. But this season, again, the same old problems for Sevilla. I think even, even more because um, Sevilla has been living in inside their own turmoil for for almost a couple of seasons already with all of the you know in some sense they remind me to to Valencia back in the day you know with all of the uh, inner stabbings between uh, shareholders and Jose Maria del Nido on the outside and Pepe Castro trying to retain his his power as the as the president and you know press taking sides uh, fans taking sides um, the Peñas being very demanding on the, on the squad the squad not really responding on top of the pitch Monchi making big mistakes last season with the way the the squad was was built but ultimately bringing Mendilibar was that kind Kind of, you know, ultimate salvation tool for them because, as you said, when he came in, Sevilla were just scraping by, avoiding relegation spots, and he finished, uh, I believe, in a very comfortable place above the the tenth spot, and at the same time, he was able to, you know, beat massive sides in the Europa League, Manchester United, um, Juventus. So, yeah, the, the task that he did with, a, I wouldn't say lackluster a squad, but a squad with uh, weaknesses in, in its uh, building was remarkable. But whenever um, something is heartbroken and you don't really mend it and, and, and solve the issues, uh, they are going to come back and, and play your, your performance. And Monchi left uh, with the market half, uh, you know, half gone with not that yeah. m- kind of margin to, to just course correct and, you know, bringing in Victor Horta to do the final signings and not really, you know, building a squad sh- with the approval and the, and the green light and the, and the thumbs up of the, of the manager. And, and you can actually see that with the, you know, the, the Fernando issue uh, with that sub uh, in the 35th minute, I believe, in the first half. Uh, Rayo Vallecano, yeah, Rayo Vallecano were already two 0 up um, over at Sanchez Pizjuan, and you know I think Mendilibar wasn't really smart because you can understand the place where he was coming from that Sevilla needed a shake up in the midfield, but you don't sub Fernando, which is both the captain and one of the most beloved players for the fan base, and uh, expect Fernando to you know, be happy about that. And Fernando showed his disapproval. Uh, there was a little, you know, incident over in the in the sidelines. And and that showed that Mendilibar was, or at least might have shown the the board that Mendilibar was losing control of the, of the locker room. So if the decision was already like 80% uh, made, uh, I think that both the Fernando uh, case and also obviously the, uh, another slip up home against uh, Rayo Vallecano with the awful performance during the first half. Rayo Vallecano just running circles about uh, around Sevilla, uh, the fans booing, you know, everyone angry over at Sanchez Pizjuan. 
uh, the board, I think that they had their uh, minds made up at halftime. Even, even after you know, so uh, cutting the advantage in half and and the city scoring in the 96th minute, Mendilibar was already on his way out, and yeah, he was finally executing to 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 say it in in our in our own uh, you know language uh, during this this Sunday. I I don't think that football has been fair to to Mendilibar. I think that this Sevilla job was possibly his most demanding uh, throughout his career, but at the same time, the the most, uh, the prettiest one, or the most interesting one, or the happiest one, because Mendilibar was a manager who was used to uh, managing misery most of his career. You know, very humble sides with no quality whatsoever, with plenty of limitations in in almost every single position in the pitch. And when he came to Sevilla, he had a very powerful squad, unbalanced but powerful. And I think he did brilliantly at the at the you know last stretch of the of the 22-23 season. But this year, uh, this season was born uh, in a very unbalanced way, and it didn't improve as weeks went by. So yeah, ultimately everyone knows what happens when a team doesn't really work. Uh, goodbye, Mendilibar, and. Good luck to the following manager because this isn't going to be an easy season for Sevilla. No, indeed. Uh, as you say, good luck to Mendelibar. We hope he returns at some point to La Liga. So uh, salute to him and hasta luego. Uh, another manager in a bit of trouble or a lot of trouble. Marca called it a final. Celta taking on the football champagne of Getafe. They had to come from behind twice uh, and were playing against 10 men for quite a lot of the game. But they did come from behind twice to avoid defeat. Celta uh, 2, Getafe 2, it finished. Mason Greenwood, unfortunately, scoring his first goal for Getafe. I suppose the big question is, is that enough to keep Rafa in for the, you know, for after the international break? I hope it does for a number of reasons. The first one, obviously, is uh, emotional in my case because I've seen Rafa Benitez deliver greatness uh, as a manager back in the day when he was at the helm over in Valencia and um, you know watching Celta really make an effort and uh, you know bring him in in their centenary season with all of the celebrations and you know that kind of feisty and happy atmosphere surrounding everything I think it's a juxtaposition of bad luck in some points in the first nine games and uh, that maybe Benitez is trying to do things that this squad isn't really equipped to do. Because ultimately, Celta de Vigo has this kind of DNA where they always try to go on the offense, even though Rafa Benitez has been, for most of his career, deemed as a defensive manager. So, um, you know, this game is the perfect encapsulation of all of, their, uh, all of the issues playing Celta, because... Getafe scored very early with a massive mistake at the back. Uh, they were able to bounce back with Bamba scoring a great goal, by the way. As you said, Domingos Duarte was, uh, you know, the, he saw the, the, the second yellow and, and, and the red card consequentially. And, and Getafe were one man down. But two minutes later, Mason Greenwood <laughs> was, was uh, able to score the 2-1. And from that point on, you, you actually see the game, and I think Getafe had no shots on target throughout the, the, the remaining 60 minutes of the game. Uh, Larsen scored uh, with five minutes to go in the first half, and I, at that point, thought that in the second half, Celta were going to be able to win the game. But, you know, 26 shots, 11 of them on target, 75% of ball possession for Celta. I think they did almost everything right, except mm. for actually scoring. So yeah, yeah uh, champagne football is something which surely gets on the you know on on every manager's nerves. Uh, Bordalas once again Bordalas the opposition, uh, especially during the second half. You know Getafe with their uh, usual shithousery, which is in my book perfectly legal and perfectly uh, understandable, especially when ten men. But yeah, very unlucky for both Rafa Benitez and Celta, which. Uh, remember, they had one penalty in the first half. Uh, Iago Aspas missed. Uh, well, he, he actually didn't miss. You know, the uh, the keeper, David Soria, made a, a great save. And, you know, it, it was well deserved for, for the keeper. But ultimately, 13 
corner kicks for for Celta, only one for for Getafe. Statistically, this game was massively won by Celta, but uh, as Bordalas says, son los goles, amigo, and in goals it was 2-2, unfortunately for, for Rafa Benitez. Yeah, much better performance uh, compared to the Alaves game, but yeah. Uh, yeah, the same result. So just a point for them, and, and he'll be kind of wondering whether he will be uh, called into a meeting uh, in a few days. But uh, yeah, perhaps that will keep him in the job. As for Bacheta, Villarreal, I'm not so sure because once again, Villarreal were pretty um, un unconvincing at home. They lost to Las Palmas, who hadn't scored or won away from home all season. They make it back-to-back -back wins now. A great golazo from Saul Coco for a free yeah. kick just on half-time. They went 2-0 up for a penalty. Gerard Moreno cuts the deficit, but they couldn't quite force the equaliser. There were whistles at La Ceramica. Dani Parejo spoke after the game about that. Paco, I'm sure you're going to talk about that. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's not clicking for Pachetta at Villarreal. Yeah, Parejo said that uh, he's used to this kind of criticism from his own fan base because he knows his stuff. You know, back in the day, uh, over here in, in Valencia, uh, he was one of the most criticized players, if not the most criticized player of of the squad, but he was able to turn it around by pure and sheer quality and, and performance and delivery. But in this case, he said as one of BRL's captains that uh, he surely prefers people booing at him and criticizing him and yelling at him than, you know, listening to his teammates being booed at because he's a much more, you know, experienced and veteran player and ultimately BRL has uh, their own high number of, of youngsters in their in their squad. But yeah, the, once again, Villarreal are finding it very tough, especially when playing at home this season. I don't know why. Um, I don't know why uh, they have been so lackluster uh, when playing in front of their own fan base, which, by the way, uh, didn't really respond in this game. You know, it was only half... Uh, half uh, obviously it wasn't a full house, it was half attendance, only half of the stadium being um, uh, empty. But yeah, Las Palmas did a, a great game throughout the first half, and they were able to knock it out of the park, especially at the end with that Saul Coco massive goal from very far away. The the the, the free kick was spectacular and, and uh, Jorgensen, the, the goalkeeper, just saw the ball swish past him. He couldn't do anything. And Marc Cardona scoring a penalty early in the second half, which was quite, you know, debatable. But but yeah, once again, 2-0 up for Las Palmas. I understand that, um, you know, Garcia Pimienta saw the, the game almost won at that point. And they were very close to losing it because Gerard Moreno scored very, very late. But Villarreal had a couple of chances, clear chances uh, throughout the second half to, to cut the, the advantage in half. So overall, this season, Villarreal's season reminds me quite a lot of Sevilla's because it, mm. it's what, it was already born in a twisted way with uh, Quique Setien, you know, following... Uh, on his on the promises delivered last last year, you know, ending the season on a high note, but the locker room not really liking his own methods and his criticism of the players and uh, overall the habits which were being tried to you know uh, up uphold inside the inside the the club, and yeah, whenever a, a, a season is born in a twisted way, things don't really uh, course correct on themselves. They need something more. And Pacheta, to this point, with only a couple of games under his belt, hasn't really been able to turn things around, bring uh, once again the like the veteran players, the big players. Pepe Reina had a, a massive um, performance a couple of days ago in the um, in the Conference League, but. But, you know, we didn't see him in, in this game. Jorgensen is obviously the, the starter. Parejo didn't have a good game. Albiol didn't have a good game. Juan Foyt hasn't been, uh, has been a, you know, a shadow of his former self. Um, Gerard Moreno has been scoring, but it's not enough. And, you know, a couple of things are not clicking over in Villarreal, and that's the reason for them being at this point so low in the standings. Because remember, Villarreal are eight points, only two 
clear from danger, only two clear from the relegation spots. And obviously that is not going to sit well with the, both the fans and uh, the um, and uh, the management. Their worst start since 2011-12 when they went down to Segunda. And with Sevilla also taking the decision to get rid of Mendilibar, maybe that will push them to also get rid of Pacheta and then maybe even try and compete for the same manager Again, the uh, Andoni Araola stock will only rise in a Spanish context. Athletic Club kicked off the weekend on Friday night with a very convincing win over Almeria. Almeria at that point, of course, still under the uh, the B-team's coach, uh, leadership of the B-team manager, but they have since appointed Gaita Garitana. We'll get to that in a moment, but Athletic, they bounced back from the derby defeat with a goleada. Oyan Santet celebrating his Spain call-up with the goal. It was a pretty routine performance from Athletic, wasn't it? Yes, especially when playing at home. I think that they have uh, grown very comfortable whenever playing over at uh, San Mames. And, you know, the the game was a, a, a massive, a massive performance. And uh, stat-wise, uh, the superiority of, of Athletic was unquestionable you know 23 shots nine of them on target uh, Almeria just uh, you know only one shot uh, uh, inside the three sticks in, in 90 minutes 40% of ball possession for Almeria 60% for for Athletic Club their their dominance was uh, out of question but uh, you know scoring early was uh, a big advantage for them with that Guru Theta opener and then in the se- uh, second half, Dani Garcia and Sunset uh, just uh, polished the game. And you only have to check out the the standings for Athletic Club, even if they lost last week's uh, vast derby. But they have bounced back once again. Three wins out of the last five games. So that's uh, how we explain their fifth place. Just behind Atletico de Madrid. And only, for example, four points away from, from Barca, which is uh, pretty remarkable. Mm, back above Real Sociedad, so if that's not a reason for that fan who went viral last week to keep smiling, then I'm not sure what is. Um, uh, Dani Garcia with his first goal for Athletic as well, worth mentioning that salute to him after many, many games without a goal mm. for the club. And just to go back on uh, on your referee chat from earlier, I, I thought Iñaki Williams should have had a penalty here. He was like rugby tackled to the floor. Yeah. My only explanation is that the VAR referee was uh, at that specific point visiting the loo. Because if not, <laughs> uh, you just can't, can't explain yeah. uh, such a glaring omission. Indeed. Anyway, we'll leave the ref chat there for now. We've obviously made some strong points there. Almeria then, winless in the league, bottom of the table. They've turned to Gaisca Garitano, a former athletic club coach, of course. Uh, the news again announced on Sunday night, so it's been a very busy Sunday evening for all of us. What do you think uh, of mm. that appointment and, and can he save them, basically? Well, um, my last experience with Gaisca Garitano uh, was uh, when I spoke only a um, couple of months ago with his uh, second in command, Pachi Ferreira, when he was over in Avar. For unfortunately for Avar, they they uh, were unable to make it, and and that's why Garitano left uh, his job over in in the summer. He had been waiting for for an opportunity, and ultimately he has only been out of a job for four months. He's going to have to work quite a lot because, in some ways, Almeria do have a squad which could battle and compete to avoid the drop. But at this point, the point deficit is already quite big because if we see the standings, we're talking only three points for Almeria out of the first 27. Um, But at the same time, if they win two games, just two Mm. games, they could get out of of the bottom three very quickly. So Almeria do have relevant players. They have, a, in my view, a better squad that, for example, Alaves... Cadiz, Las Palmas, and I would say maybe um, on par with Getafe, because Getafe are, uh, in my view, overachieving, picking point after point. You know, Bordalas, uh, Bordalasism is, uh, you know, breaking many, many predictions. But but Almeria do have very interesting sti- strikers. Um, you know, the from from midfield onwards. I think they are a very interesting side with uh, Melero, Cone, Baba, Embarba, Ramazzani, um, Baptistao. 
uh, I don't know. Um, I was uh, watching uh, well, Lazaro Vinicius also playing Cesar Montes. Uh, I think that they, they are a decent squad, but it didn't work out for Vicente Moreno. And let's see if uh, Gaizca Garitano and his new staff are able to pull off the miracle. Because if we think about the investment, I'm sure that if Garitano is able to do a decent, not good or notable, decent job from now till January, I'm sure that Almeria Sheikh will splurge a bit of cash on January in order to, you know, strengthen the squad even further. So Garitano has the chance. He he has the expertise. Uh, let's see if he has the, the luck needed to do so. Yeah, I, I do like him. I think he, he strikes me as a, as a decent man and he's been quite unlucky, I think. He, he showed a lot of honour. He was he took Abar into La Liga in the first place and, and when they originally were, were finishing the bottom three, he resigned to say, you know, I've, I've failed yeah. essentially. But then it was Elche's demotion which ended up saving Abar. And then, of course, when at Athletic, he took them to the final, but then COVID prevented him uh, from having that. That postponement meant that he, he was then sacked before they actually could play the final. And then, of course, last season with Eibar, he we had that, yeah, as we've spoken about, that collapse. And then, he again, he resigned kind of saying, yep, I, I, I didn't achieve what I, I set out to achieve, so I'm, I'm you know, I'm walking. Um, but yeah, he strikes me as a very honourable man, and uh, yeah. let's hope let's hope he can, can get some luck and and uh, turn things around, because I think uh, he's a very popular manager with, uh, with fans. Uh, moving on to the final two games of the match day, both 1-1 draws, Mallorca-Valencia and Alaves-Betis. Paco, talk about this uh, whichever way you want. We had the kids to the rescue again for Ruben Baraja, yeah. uh, Diego Lopez equalising on half-time, and Alaves-Betis, a couple of really strange goals. Um, Ayosi Perez tucking in after Sivera couldn't hold the shot. And then a really bizarre own goal. Uh, Claudio Bravo makes a great save from a, from a header and then it just cannons off Bayerin into the net. So it finished 1-1 in both games. <sighs> kind of hard to judge these teams. They, they seem to be kind of treading water in the middle of the table a little bit. Alaves a bit lower. But the other sides, they all seem to be in the middle, not really pulling up many trees, but also not in major danger. Yeah, because especially in Betis's case, they have quality players and that ultimately makes a difference in most of these KG games. Um, this one in particular was very bizarre um, with those two weird plays in the first half with that uh, opening Sivera mistake past the, the halftime mark uh, and Ayose Perez taking advantage of it. And, and just minutes later that, as you said, Claudio Bravo, spectacular save, but uh, the ball just jettisoned into Hector Bellerin's body and you know the the, the defender just couldn't move mm. uh he he couldn't he couldn't react the ball just deflected on him and went uh trickled into the into Betis's goal so no 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 way back in that sense and nothing to do in that sense for for Betis uh, Betis's defender um the second half was uh, quite interesting by Alaves because they they had more chances they had more uh opportunities to to generate danger but uh, ball possession was Betis's. So after watching Betis play against Valencia uh, only a couple of days ago and just driving Valencia to the ground and, and thrashing Valencia around, I was pretty disappointed with the way Betis performed. And I think that they are going to find themselves in trouble quite a lot this season away from El Villamarín because they just don't seem consistent enough to deliver a streak of positive results week after week. Whereas for Alaves, unfortunately for them, they, they are finding problems to, to score and that is what is, you know, dragging down Luis Garcia's men's efforts. And regarding the other game, um, you know, once again, you know, Valencia were able to to snatch one point on the road, uh, breaking a bit their their latest uh, streak of, of negative results. And it came in a very unsuspected way because Diego Lopez scored a, a, an absolutely brilliant header, which was so difficult to score, you know, turning the neck in very unnatural ways, uh, like just uh, the exorcist girl style, you know, just turning it more than it should. But, it, you know, it got the, the job done. Uh, it leveled the game in the extra time in the first half. Dani Rodriguez has scored a very early goal, you know, once again, uh, letting Valencia's um, weaknesses to, to shine. Uh, Valencia players looked very tired. Uh, injuries have been piling up for them. 
I think that this this game left nobody happy. You know, mm. Aguirre was very very angry after the game because his his own players are just unable to finish the job, and Valencia players were very angry because of a you know clear as day penalty over Hugo Duro, which should have been you know at least uh, VAR reviewed and you know in my view and in most Valencianistas' view it was a very very clear pen. So overall, not the best. It was a very lacking game. The quality was very low. I stated that uh, during the game on, on Twitter and, and many people agreed. It was a very poor game overall. Yeah, a poor game. That's why it's on last on this podcast. And that it is wasn't really the best one. Yeah, we had many, <laughs> many others which deserved the spotlight rather than Mallorca Valencia. Absolutely. Uh, and on that note, we better leave it where it is. Uh, a dramatic match day with plenty of drama and goals and controversies, as we said. Uh, hopefully, we've covered all of it for you. We'll be back midweek with uh, updates on all the La Liga lines, including Sevilla's search for a new manager and any potential further departures. And then, of course, back to international break, Spain taking on Scotland in Seville. We'll be back with that. Paco, thank you so much for your time this Sunday evening. Thank you for the chat and thanks everyone for listening. And remember, guys, that we have a midweek podcast, which is locked behind bars. And if you want to unlock it, you should upgrade your uh, Substack subscription. Do it. Do it. Uh, take advantage of this puente, which is like a long weekend that we have over here in Spain. Take advantage of that. Unlock all the goodies that we have for you and uh, get your premium subscription. Indeed. Just a fiver. Just a fiver. Plenty of content. Podcast. Extra articles. It's all there for you. Just waiting behind those bars. Paco, thank you very much once again. We'll leave you with that record-breaking goal from La Mina Mal as we play out. So thank you very much. Hasta luego. de la Mina Mal. Pendientes del bar porque la posición es de riesgo, podríamos decir, del chaval que coge en 16 años y 87 días y a la espera de lo que diga la maquinita inscribe su nombre en la historia de la liga porque se convierte en el goleador más joven en hacerlo. La miña mal al rescate. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.